Good afternoon and welcome to Chemical World. I am Kenna Crampton, membership director here at KDNK. And I've got my co-host here, Maggie Seldine, founder and executive director of High Rockies Harm Reduction. And so happy to be here again with everybody uh, on this Monday afternoon. And so happy to be here with you, Maggie. With, uh, well, there's always a lot of shootings going on, but there is that shooting that happened in Atlanta. And the guy who committed the shooting had mentioned that he targeted these massage parlors because he suffered from sex addiction and having the parlors there just tempted him. And so he wanted to keep other people from experiencing that. So I wanted to touch on sex addiction a little bit and just the differences between all different types of addiction and where sex addiction really falls in that. Uh, I think to me, I think sex addiction is an interesting one because, uh, we live in a very sex negative culture. And so mm -hmm. it's easy to say, oh, that person is watching too much porn or having too much sex. They have a, an addiction problem. And I don't want to take away from the uh, I, I think that that's a very a, a reality that we have to take into consideration that we live in a sex negative culture. But that being said, you can do anything too much to the point where it affects your life and um, your quality of life. And so that's where I think uh, sex addiction is a real thing. Absolutely. And yeah, I thought this was a great topic for our May episode as we're celebrating Mental Health Awareness Month in May. And we have spoken about this in the past on Chemical World, but I think it never hurts to kind of readdress just the differences in addiction and the many ways that it manifests because addiction can look so completely different for everyone, even for people who have addictions to the same substances. So I thought it was, you know, definitely worth kind of having these conversations again around what is addiction and what what does that really mean? And I think that the sex addiction is, yeah, very fascinating, fascinating when we take a look at sexuality and our culture in general, because the United States is such a weird paradox when we talk about sexuality, because if you remember back to 300 or so years ago, we are founded on a very, very puritanical society, basically you know, the pilgrims who came to America came here to escape what they saw as too loose of morals. So these are like the mm. most strict versions of Christianity uh, at that time, you know, coming here to set up their own new puritanical society. And then they face these indigenous cultures that are probably a lot more open about the human experience because, you know, we're all experiencing it. Why do we have to hide it? And so fast forward to today, we still have those puritanical roots very much ingrained in our society, very sex negative, And yet, women are half naked in all media portrayals. And I even this uh, the past couple of days, I was really excited that the nanny is on HBO. I love the nanny. But just really reflecting on, you know, 
my role models, Fran Drescher, Dolly Parton, Elvira, they're these women who I really look up to because they have become these sex icons despite the fact that they have no self-esteem and that that's where these big hair, a lot of makeup, big boobs, big clothes looks come from. And so it's, again, this weird paradox of these really strong feminist icons who have huge breasts showing, have to make their hair up, have to make their face up to look like something completely different than what they are. So is that feminism or not? It it gets very confusing as a woman in our society or a man to know what is healthy sexuality. Yeah, that's very confusing. And then also, what is addiction? That is so confusing for so many people, I think, as well. And when you brought up the question of sex addiction, I also thought about phone addiction because this is something that people have asked me about in the community. You know, what do I think about addictions to phones? And so basically before I get too in-depth, I want to kind of describe what I'm talking about here. So addiction and recovery, right? Two sides of the coin. They are going to be entirely different experiences for everyone. But I think that the root of both of those is quality of life. You're spending 10 hours a day on your phone. Maybe you have to. Maybe you're getting paid for that 10 hours a day and that's your job. And then the other 14 hours a day are all you and you don't spend any time on that phone. Or you're spending 10 hours a day on your phone and it's making you miserable, you're anxious, you're paranoid, you're jealous. It was so funny. I was just watching a TED Talk the other day about how unhealthy social media is. And then six hours later, I was looking at pictures of beautiful women on Instagram, comparing myself to them. And then I was like, oh, yeah, this is what that Mm -hmm. TED Talk was telling me, that this is so unhealthy for us to have these comparisons, you know, just at our fingertips and to just get, I mean, we've all been there. You get lost down the rabbit hole 10 minutes on the phone or the internet turns into two hours where did Mm -hmm. the night go and so we can kind of see like where our quality of life is becoming affected yeah and those that's all so many uh factors is that you know on social media people are only posting their best happiest moments you know and and a lot of the time I've, i've just heard studies show that when someone's posting a lot on social media and there's a lot of, you know, look at how amazing I am and how amazing I'm doing, a lot of the time they're suffering more inside and people don't see that, you know, there's people who have committed suicide and no one saw it because, well, on social media they seem so happy. And so it is such a pervasive thing because it gets, you know, really so many different problems with it. Yeah, and that reminds me of an article that I read, and this is several years ago, but I mean, I remember many, many years ago hearing on the radio that people who use more Facebook are less happy. Mm-hmm. And I posted that on Facebook, and I literally had a girl like DM me and say, is this about me and the post that I did? And <laughs> I'm sorry to everyone out there. Like, I don't really read a lot of Facebook posts. I post a lot on Facebook, but I don't spend a lot of time on Facebook for my own mental health. And so I had no idea what this girl was talking about. And it was a perfect example of what this study was talking about. Is She mm-hmm. was so anxious and paranoid. She thought that me saying that was a direct attack on her. And I had no idea where she was coming from. Well, and then not to mention that we all have these websites that are all about us. Yeah. So we're, you know, that, and that's the, another thing that's feeding our egos. And this girl who you know, she, she's constantly posting on her website, 
uh, you know, she thinks this whole world is revolving around her when, you know, it, it's such, so much bigger than that. But Yeah, um, and I'm always worried that people are going to think that because I'm not on there liking their stuff that they think I don't like their stuff. But in reality, like, I just don't use social media and I kind of have these, like, I'll be very active for a month and then I won't be on for a month and then I'll be very active for a month. So I'm always worried. Yeah, people are going to think, oh, Maggie hasn't liked anything I posted in a while. It's not personal, but it's very easy for us to think it is because we are really only wrapped in our own world and on our page. But so another um, thing that this article said was that people who use social media a lot are actually less successful in life in general. They're less um prosperous because once you've posted something on social media it's as if it's already happened so say Hmm. you post like i'm going on the juice cleanse well the whole world thinks you're juice cleansing you don't really have to juice cleanse and so the study was showing that people are less likely to actually do the things that they say they're going to do because it's as if it happened in in the void in the matrix basically that's interesting i'll say on my note i posted something about quitting smoking and that has actually like i'm like well i can't smoke now because the whole world knows that i quit (laughs) yeah talk about stigma you know when it comes to addictions man smoking has so much stigma towards it and i i just have to bring it up because because of the smoking tax that we have here in the valley Mm -hmm. i mean it is it's it is insane. And I, I have quit smoking as well for the last couple months. I am of the mind of once a smoker, always a smoker, because it is it's such a um hard thing to quit, which of course after seeing that video that girl talked about how it's not actually that hard to quit. But anyway, sorry. I, I just have been really thinking about how do these people who are making these laws and, and upping the taxes, do they even know how much cigarettes cost and it is insane how much cigarettes cost i'm sorry but it is insane and i think that we're treating these people like criminals when we raise the taxes to the point where that to that point Um, i agree and i have a hard time with that because as a you know lifelong smoker basically i've spent more of my life smoking than i haven't even though i'm not smoking at this moment that i think that those um laws it, it gets to this question of like when are you basically denying me my civil rights. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really hard because, again, culturally, smoking was acceptable for so long. And it was even, like, approved by doctors for so long that we're, we're trying to move away from that. And I get that. And these taxes have been effective at getting less people to become smokers, at getting more people to quit smoking. But at the end of the day, like, I have the right to make the educated choice to smoke. But I think that that's what's so hard in our culture is do we really have that educated choice? Like when I think about how many people eat at McDonald's once a day, you know, like are you really making an educated choice to eat Mm -hmm. at McDonald's? And it's the same with cigarettes. Like I'm making an educated choice, but I'm also addicted to these terrible chemicals. And it's Mm -hmm. the exact same whether it's a Big Mac or a pack of Marlboros. (laughs) Like these are chemicals that will, you know, are addictive and will convince our brains of things that are not true. Mm -hmm. And that's like you were you made a comment about the video I posted on Facebook that says that it's not that hard to to quit smoking. I was actually thinking about that, that what's hard about quitting smoking is getting over all of the lies that your body is telling Uh yourself, you know, like if you can believe the truth, then yes, it's a lot easier. Yeah, it's hard to 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 feel that. 
Yeah, and, and that, that that kind of thinking is what's helped me with the drinking for sure is, um, you know, whenever I get really uh, stressed or down and I'm like, I could just get wasted. That would help, right? That would help. And then and then I got to sit back and really think about, okay, how much would that really help? Then I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to be really upset that I just threw away the last two years of sobriety and have to start back over at day one. I'm going to probably start drinking again because that alone is going to make me so upset at myself. And, and it, you know, you just have to really like work through like what's truth and what's uh, my brain tricking myself that that's what's going to help. And that is so difficult with especially I think alcohol and cigarettes, but most addictions, right? Because we think it's going to help us reduce our stress, but in the long term, it's actually making our stress much worse. We think it's going to help us, like having a drink of alcohol or smoking a bowl of marijuana, that these things are going to help us sleep better. They're actually restricting our ability to sleep at all. Mm -hmm. And so it Mm -hmm. is just this really vicious cycle. And I want to make a comment about the stigma and vitriol against smokers because I agree and I do think that smokers have become second-class citizens and the Mm -hmm. next pariah. I mean, like the smokers are the quote-unquote junkies now because how could you do that to yourself, you know, when you know what's bad? I also think that there's people out there who ruin it for all of us by leaving cigarette butts out or smoking in public around, you know, children. Like it's just be – decent, you know, and you you see a child, you can move and have your cigarette somewhere else, or you're a parent and you see somebody smoking, maybe you keep your child to the other side of the street, whatever. We all are friends and neighbors, right? We should be able to work together on these things and keep our communities clean and beautiful. But I just, you know, I would post pictures on social media and I would be smoking and people would be really mean to me about it. And I just want you all out there to know your comments about how I should quit smoking never once made me want to quit smoking. Mm -mm. It only made me want to smoke more. (laughs) It was not helpful for you to be mean to me and belittle me about this very deep addiction that I'm dependent on because I have severe trauma and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And not to mention that those stereotypes are so easy to then play into as well. You know, when when you are told, oh, you're a smoker, you're a second class citizen, you're no better than other people, then like you're, you're not a good person, whatever, then it's so easy to say, okay, fine, then I will smoke this cigarette around exactly. your kid. Okay, fine, then I will smoke wherever I want and I'll leave my cigarette butt. I, like if you're going to treat me like that, then, I'll, then I'm going to play into the, your stereotype. And it's really, that um, is just another pervasive problem when it comes to people and stigma. Exactly. And I think that that's so, where so much resentment and anger and the vicious cycle of addiction comes from. I know growing up here in the Valley, I was so angry and resentful because people act like these issues that I've lived with my entire life aren't here in our communities. And they absolutely are. And when you are ignored by the system, ignored by the schools, victimized by the police departments and the courts, yeah, you're going to be angry and resentful and you're not going to want to keep your community clean and you're not going to want to do better and help people. And I think that this ties... be a part of that community. That's othering you exactly then you want to you want to be on the outside and Mm -hmm. that's where we just have all these social issues of us against them and all these resentments and it's like we're all humans we're all 
the same in that regard. We all just want to be safe and happy and healthy and want that for all of our friends and family, right? And so why does it have to be such an us versus them mentality? And it's getting really scary to me in a lot of ways how our society is becoming like that. But I think that this ties really well into the conversation of addiction because the same is true for alcoholics or people who are dependent on other substances like cocaine or methamphetamine or heroin. They become that. They become their addiction. They become a second-class citizen, and they're never going to get better, and they need to do this, and they need to do that. It's not, I don't need to do anything. I don't need to be nice to that person or helpful or kind or compassionate. You know? We do live in the United States of America. You have, you're free to be as much of a jerk as you want. And I get that, you know, people like this is the thing. Addiction is really frustrating, especially alcoholism. We feel mm-hmm. so overwhelmed. I'm here to tell you today, and I hope that y'all are following High Rockies Harm Reduction and Chemical World on Facebook and Instagram. But there are options to treat alcoholism, to treat opioid use disorder that do not involve rehab, which is statistically not very effective. There are things that we can do to help our loved ones that are more evidence-based and empirically shown to be effective just through medications and counseling and diet and exercise. And yet we still have this attitude they're never going to get better. They're a piece of, you know, crap, whatever. They're a bad person. They've made this choice. When in reality, the majority of addiction comes from people who have trauma, anxiety, other mental health issues. They are judged as being that other, that that outsider. They're not, they don't fit in. There was this great quote I saw on Instagram today, and I know this, I'm kind of giving you mixed messages about whether or not you should use social media. It's your choice to make. But um, that basically the war on drugs is a war on neurodiversity and that concept of neurodiversity. And I love that because I've thought for a long time, like, what's wrong with having autism or bipolarity or, you know, what, what what's wrong with that? You think differently. Your mind is different. You have different perspectives and different things that you can bring to the table. You know, mm-hmm. like people who live with Down syndrome have the most amazing personalities and kind hearts, mm-hmm. you know, like they are such wonderful contributions to our society and they bring such a valuable perspective and so does everyone and so why do we spend all this time making people feel like they're wrong or different or other and that it's a bad thing it's like you're different and that's beautiful and that's what makes our society what it is and we can have a beautiful society if we move away from having just one perspective Mm -hmm. the rich landowner controlling the conversation we all need to be a part of this conversation so that we can have true equity in our society. But so that's, you know, one story of addiction is that you have these issues that lead to substance use because you don't have the skills to cope with what's happening inside of you. And I tell people a lot, like, I think our generation, and I say this all the time, is one of the first generations to truly be raised on the concept that it is okay to talk about your feelings Mm -hmm. and work through your issues. I don't think the generations before us really had that. And so they definitely didn't have the coping skills to pass on to us. We definitely are working on learning these coping skills. Uh, I know for me, I used nicotine, cannabis, alcohol, 
food, <laughs> sugar, mm-hmm. you know. I have to share two quotes. Yes. One is from The High Women, uh, who just redid The Highway Men uh, song. And there's a line in that song that's, we are the daughters of the silent generation. And I just love that so much. And then another quote that another wonderful person told me is that uh, uh, the ability to quit substances does not have to do with willpower but has to do with coping skills. Exactly. Miss Maggie Silden. Oh, I was like, who said that? That's great. Uh, yeah, I said that to my therapist and he was like blown out of the water. He was like, how do you know that? Oh my God. Oh no, you you said that to me a couple weeks ago. I wrote it down and I just, oh, it stuck. It has stuck with me. It is. I, I just had to share it with everyone because it has really changed my perspective on a lot of things. So thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. Of course, and I didn't you know, interrupt you with that. <laughs> yeah. When when I quit smoking, it was literally like I woke up one day and I'm like, I haven't had a drink in two years. I have an amazing, supportive family. My partner is amazing and would love for me to quit smoking. Like I just felt like I had what I needed to quit for the first time ever. And then that day, I went and saw my dad, and he was just so amazing. I swear, he must be where I learned all of my harm reduction from because he said, I'm so proud of you, not for quitting, but just for trying. I'm like, oh, my God, that was all I needed Mm -hmm. to hear, right? I didn't need to hear, you piece of crap for smoking. God, you look so ugly with a cigarette. Oh, my God, when are you going to quit? That's Mm -hmm. so nasty. That's so gross. You're disgusting. Having support i'm so proud of you for trying that was what i needed and that is what's kept me going but yeah so i really think you know and going back to that we think that these substances are going to reduce our stress because in a sense they do in a short term but long-term abuse of these substances actually just makes our stress worse and like yeah it was really difficult for those first two weeks without nicotine like I felt like I had no coping skills I did not feel like I was ready to do it or whatever but now that I've kind of made it through that hump I do I feel so much better and so much more in control and like I can slowly but surely start working on those other addictions that are just as detrimental to my body and to my mental health as smoking like sugar Mm -hmm. which is so pervasive in our society and just as like bad for us right Mm -hmm. tv well tv and sugar are my two tv yeah hard time with right now (laughs) and eating a lot of sugar yeah just not being present and oh my god like are we not just living in 1984 except for it's even worse because the screen is in our pocket and not Mm -hmm. like across our wall like i mean you don't even have to worry about whether or not they changed last week's newspaper because they're just going to come out with another fake newspaper next week I know that seems a little extreme, but like when we think about our relationship with television, with phones, with media, like 1984 is here and it's way worse than we would have even imagined. And it just like crept right in. Nobody knows. I I know somebody when the TV first came out, there was some famous person quoted as saying it was like the worst invention of all time and it was going to rot, you know, Mm -hmm. our minds. And here we are. (laughs) Yeah. I want to also just uh, point people to a Todd Snyder song, uh, the television blues or something like that. It's off of his um, new album, the cash cabin sessions. But I wanted, I I interrupted you when I said we are the daughters of the silent generation. Uh, You were going to say something about how there's, 
people who become addicted to substances because of trauma. And then there's also another kind of addiction that you wanted to mention, right? Yes. There's substances that are just addictive. Thank you. And so, again, addiction is very frustrating. It's very confusing. It can manifest completely different for everyone. And it's more about quality of life to me than anything else. And so is recovery. Are you able to do the things in the day that you need to do? Are you able to have the relationships that you want to have with the people in your lives? Um, are you able to get enough sleep? Is What's mm-hmm. your physical health? Like all these things. But so there's really, and we've talked about this before on the show, you know, the big A addiction versus the little A addiction. There's so many external and internal factors that contribute to addiction, but there's kind of like two primary pathways. And so the first being that you have a biological predisposition, which can, makes up for about, they say, well, first of all, I just want to say that any science or statistics I give you, I bet in 20 years it'll be wrong. Like, that's just how science is. Mm -hmm. But as far as we know right now, genetics make up about 50% of addiction. And that doesn't really even make sense if you think about it. But that's, um, you know, what they kind of say. Like, the, the biological predisposition, your genetics do not guarantee that you will develop addiction, but it is a big part of it, and it definitely puts you at greater risk. And then there are external triggers that can lead to that biological predisposition coming out. So some people really are. They're just born addicts. And that just, you know, is very apparent kind of from day one and explodes in adolescence and early adulthood often into really serious issues. But there are also people who are born with that genetic predisposition and it may not become an issue until maybe they have that first drink or maybe they have a car accident and are prescribed an opioid and Mm -hmm. that combination of, you know, this new traumatic event and now I'm being exposed to this substance that I have a biological predisposition to become addicted to. So there is biological addiction for sure. And there are for sure people who just are born this way, cannot do substances at all, does not work for them. They need 100% abstinence. That's the only way, right? But 90% of people who use illicit substances do so responsibly. I don't know if that is like including cannabis, if you were to take cannabis out of that data, what that would look like, because of course, you know, the laws around cannabis are different everywhere and we're all kind of moving towards it not necessarily being an illicit substance anymore. Um, But basically, not everyone has these full-blown addiction issues. Not everyone has that biological predisposition, and plenty of people can have a few drinks or maybe even get blackout wasted on the weekend, and it doesn't affect their life in other ways. However, there are also just these addictive substances out there, right? And so like we've talked about before, it only takes the body two weeks to become physically dependent to opioids. Nicotine and hundreds of other chemicals and tailor-made cigarettes are very addictive, believe you me. And it is interesting to think about how our awareness of these issues affects our ability to deal with them. Like when we're aware that this feeling like, oh, my God, I need a cigarette is just your body trying to trick you and that that's not real. You don't really need a cigarette. You will survive and the cigarette's going to be bad for you in the long run. Knowing that does help. And so maybe as we as a culture realize that inpatient rehab isn't the most effective way, that 100 percent sobriety is 
unrealistic for most people, maybe people will be able to have recovery that isn't necessarily rooted in sobriety more and more as we get a better understanding of this. But the reality is some people need 100% sobriety. Some people are more comfortable with that and Mm -hmm. whatever. And that's their choice. Whatever is going to get you to the best quality of life. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping to be 100% sober someday. And I'm working towards that a little bit at a time, you know, I want to get sugar out of my life because I'm not sober if I have sugar in my body as much as I have or caffeine. I mean, I get that it's not the same consequences necessarily, but they're still hurting my body. They're still changing the way that I think, and I'm still addicted to them. Anyway, when we think about people who are completely 100% sober and aren't addicted to substances at all, the only people I can really think of are monks. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard because I guess I think of people who are in AA and NA who, you know, don't drink, don't smoke cigarettes, don't smoke marijuana or anything like that. But yeah, they're still probably consuming sugar. And who knows what kind of pharmaceutical medications. I mean, if you're taking Ritalin, you're not sober, you're taking meth, Mm -hmm. you know? And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and And of course I don't want to be like, oh, only monks are the only ones who are completely 100% sober, especially when there are people who who practice that. But yeah, when it comes to substances like sugar and caffeine and stuff like that, I just think, and and even in this culture of screens and and that kind of stuff, that's really all I'm getting at. I don't right. wanna, and I'm I definitely think, not shaming anybody. No, <laughs> and I think that the point is that, yeah, like, okay, caffeine and sugar, you're not going to necessarily go out and do the things that you would associate with meth or heroin. But you know what? You're not necessarily going to do those things with meth or heroin either. There's a lot uh-huh. of propaganda and stigma associated with those kind of drugs. And that's a part of the war on drugs. And racist and classist attempts to get rid of the under segments of society or whatever it is they're trying to do to us, kill us, enslave us, imprison us. But I digress. <laughs> I think for me, it's just that I don't want to be worried about these labels of mm-hmm. sobriety. I want to be worried about quality of life and happiness. And it just bugs me when I hear people say things like, oh, well, you need 24 hours of sobriety. It's like, well, what does that mean? Because I, I can't drink, but I could be on Ritalin. Like, I just don't get it. Like, it doesn't matter to me what you're using. Like, I want to help you get a better quality of life today, you know. But Basically, I wanted to say that in addition to having a biological predisposition to being an addict, there are also just addictive substances out there. And in addition to opioids and nicotine and, you know, these pretty hard drugs that can create addiction, which, by the way, meth and cocaine do not really have those properties necessarily. Not like alcohol. Right. Um, But also phones. Mm-hmm. potentially sex, you know? And and so I think with phones, somebody asked me, do you believe in phone addiction? And I definitely think that phones and screens and TVs and all of this is one of those things that it's like, I think anyone be- can become addicted to. I also, I don't know if you guys know about like um, subliminal light messaging, but basically they will have subliminal messages in video games, for example, that are on like a different light wave. So you can't actually see it, but it's there and you're seeing it. Like say it's an ad for Coca-Cola. It's like, it's really hard for me to describe because I'm not like a super techie person, but it's basically these light waves that are nearly invisible, but you're still like 
absorbing it. Hmm. And, you know, so we don't even really know what we're looking at. We don't even know what is going on in the algorithms on on phones. And and I'm sure that at this point, many people are familiar with the terrifying stories. I just always think of the meme, grandma became a white nationalist because of Facebook, right? Mm-hmm. And just the terrifying things that are happening in these social media algorithms to make people think certain ways. Um, I've also seen a lot of videos this past month of people in Colorado getting arrested because they don't understand what the mask law is and getting in fights in private businesses. I've seen a bunch of those recently. I think that the the message there is that it doesn't really matter what the state law is anymore, or what the county law is, that it's the private business's choice to refuse service to people and private businesses mostly have the rule that you need to still be wearing a mask regardless of what the state or county or whatever is saying. And I think that's where there's a lot of confusion happening. But my point is, there is addiction and there are addictive substances. There are a lot of dangers out there in the world. But knowing is half the battle. And knowing that these substances, whether they're cigarettes or vapes or alcohol or white claw, rose by any other name, like a lot of these things are the same Mm -hmm. things dressed Mm -hmm. up in new marketing. But, you know, telephones, all of these things, we are an instant gratification culture and we are increasingly becoming dependent on more and more things and we don't have relationships with the earth. We don't have natural food that we eat. We may or may not have clean water. So it's just like we're moving further and further away from the human experience. And I think it just to kind of round it off and go back to the sexual addiction. Again, when is it an addiction? When is it unhealthy? Like how many hours a day are you watching pornography? Are you thinking about sex? Are you having sex? Are you spending money on sex? Are you spending money on sex that's outside of your means? And so for me, it becomes an addiction when it's affecting your quality of life. But I think sexuality is such an interesting one because who is to say when it's too much? Yeah. And it, it, like you said, I think it just comes to quality of life, you know, and if you're having sex 20 hours a day and it's your life's good, I'm not going to judge you. <laughs> yeah, if you're happy, if you're happy. If and you're I think happy. that that's the point of addiction is that if you're having sex 20 hours a day, if you're on your phone 20 hours a day, if you're drinking first thing in the morning, you're probably not happy. There's right. probably something something going on. Yeah. And I'm going to do my best to not judge you either way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's, uh, I think, I think that in, in the end, I just want to come back to the fact that we just really want to work on getting rid of stigma when it comes to drug use, especially. Absolutely. And when we talk about reducing stigma, it means that, yeah, you know, abusing meth every single day is not necessarily the healthiest choice for you, but we're not going to judge you for that. We mm-hmm. want to help you get what you need. And treating somebody like crap because of the choices that they make is not how you help them. Yeah. So to finish off our May Mental Health Awareness Month episode, Kenna came up with a fantastic idea for getting the community involved for our September episode as September is Recovery Month. And so Kenna has written a poem that has also been shared with the community. And she's going to share her poem with us in just a moment. But we also wanted to just make a request for submissions from anyone else who's interested in 
providing a poem that they wrote that maybe is about addiction or recovery, either with yourself or someone that you care about. And so we ask you to submit recorded sound files of your poem to maggie at highrockiesharmreduction.com anytime between now and August. And with that, Kenna, we would love to hear your poem. Thank you. Uh, I have to say, when I first uh, decided to share this with the Soper's son, I originally said I wanted to set, uh, put it out anonymously. And after foc- uh, reflecting a lot on our work that we do here with Chemical World and how important I think it is to reduce stigma, and I realized I should, I will put my name to it. And uh, this is another step for me is uh, sharing it with you right now. So, okay, that said, uh, here we go. <laughs> As she sat by the river, she thought. She thought about all the people she lost, all the people she pushed away, all of the people that left. She could count her remaining relatives on one hand. She could hear the ducks go by as she tallied up all the people she would never see again, not in this life. It's lonely here, here by the river and here in life. Where was everyone? Did she know or care? Did they care where she was? It was just her. Until she does something about it, that is how it will be. It hadn't been long since her dad died. She was waiting for it and knew it would happen. So why was she surprised when it did? Because she had canceled the last plans she had ever made with him? Or was it simply because she missed her dad? None of these questions would last long rattling around in her head. Soon she would find a way to quiet those questions. Alcohol. The very same thing that took her dad away from her. When alcohol came into the picture, the, question became, the questions became easier. Where is the bottle? Easier, but more complicated. Most of the time, she wasn't sure where the problems came from. So easy to let go. It wasn't until he came into her life that she considered maybe she wanted problems that mattered. Maybe to answer those questions left behind long ago. She didn't need a man to change her life. She needed someone to love her and to be there through it all to hold her hand when things got scary. Someone to live for. Before him, it was some guy she, she nearly wished she would die just to get away from him. Still, the idea of leaving and starting over seemed like too big of a task, but she did it. Against all odds, she withstood his harassment for a month. Then he crashed her car. But in the end, I think he did it for her own good to set her free. She never was sure if he knew how badly he treated her or if he didn't know any better. But it didn't matter because she was free. Free to fall in love, but for real. The kind of love that rushes at you when you don't know how you ever lived but lived without this person. When you wonder how anything in the world ever made sense before them. Was the sky always this blue? The mountain always so majestic? Yes but before she couldn't appreciate any of it because her world was so ugly and the ugliness rubbed off on everything else. Love truly does save lives. She is living, breathing proof. Thank you so much for sharing that, Kenna. That was amazing. That was so beautiful. 
Thank you. Sorry, that was a little bit rough to get through, but uh, thank you. And I, I just want to, again, um, put the request out to everyone out there uh, if there's something you've been holding on to and want to let it out into the world, uh, you can definitely submit any of your poems anonymously or if you would like to put your name to it. Uh, the best way to record it is through the Voice Memo app on your iPhone or if you have a Droid uh it's called uh, Voice Recorder is the app that works the best for making these recordings. And we, um, in September, will share all of the recordings that we get. So we look forward to hearing from all of you. And remember, poems do not have to rhyme. And if you want to submit something and you're kind of unsure, you can feel free to reach out to us and we'd be happy to help support you to get a meaningful representation of your experience onto the airwaves. It's what we love to do here at KDNK. And so, again, I hope that y'all are like, sharing, and following chemical world on social media you can also find kdnk and high rockies harm reduction on facebook and instagram and you can email me with any questions about the topics that we discuss here on chemical world at maggie at high rockies harm reduction.com and you can find the extended full version of this episode at kdnk.org by searching chemical world and remember you don't have to be sober to keep your community clean. Drugs may come and drugs may go and that's all right, you see. Experience has made me rich and now I can use safely. It might be beer, it might be dope, it may even be caffeine. But we all have a little something that keeps us on our feet. What's important is being safe and stopping the spread of disease. You do not have to be sober to keep your community clean. Cause we are living in a chemical world and I am a chemical girl or boy. We are living in a chemical world and I am a chemical gender nondescript. We are living in a chemical world and I am a chemical. We are living in a chemical world and I am a chemical girl. You know we are living in a chemical world and I am a chemical girl.